Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where my voice is somewhat deep today. <laughs> are you are you moved by all of the danger zone speed? I, I actually took the speed? highway away from the danger zone. I don't know why more people don't take that highway. It was a smooth ride, no traffic. Great. My name is William Hi. Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Hi, my name is Woody Seibold. Uh, I, too, am a critic. Yeah, we're... we're Highway away from the danger zone today. Yes. That sounds so pleasant. Doesn't it nice? Doesn't it sound nice? Like just, just getting like, further and further away from of, the danger just zone. Just sort of amble away. Yeah. Was it uh, slouching slouching away from the apocalypse? Um, <laughs> anyway, this is Critically Acclaimed. We review new movies here at the Critically Acclaimed podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. And uh, this weekend, summer has kicked into high gear. We got a couple of major releases and also a couple of smaller films. We want to make sure you, uh, well... Might be okay if you miss a couple of them, but uh, we do want to make sure you're aware of them. Uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing Top Gun Maverick. Uh, we're reviewing the Bob's Burgers movie. Mm-hmm. We're reviewing Dinner in America. We're uh, reviewing... I, I, I'm unfamiliar with this artist, and mm-hmm. I know they're huge, and I'm embarrassed. Uh, how, do you, how do you pronounce the title again? It's look at me... Look at me. XXX Tentacion. So you say each X. That's right. Got it. Okay. And Zero Contact, a new uh, indie film starring Anthony Hopkins. Um... And uh, we usually like to get started with the biggest movie of the weekend, and the biggest movie of the weekend is quite big. Uh, really made, huge opening weekend, actually. Making a lot of money. It's yeah. uh, a legacy sequel. They got the star back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different director. The original director has died. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're going to be talking about Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Now, Top Gun Maverick uh, is, it's been, what has it been? It's been 30, 34 years. 34 no, it came out in 86. 86. So it's 36 years. 36 years. It was supposed to come out like a couple of years ago, though, yeah. but the pandemic pushed it back. We, and we yeah. talked about it last week that um, The Asylum came out with a mockbuster to coincide with its original release date. And they had tied to come up with a second. Top Gunner. <laughs> and Top Gun Maverick was pushed back so far that The Asylum came up with a sequel to Top Gunner called Top Gunner colon Danger Zone so this thing to is coincide a- with the actual release of t- Top Gun Maverick. Is this the last big movie that got pushed back because of the pandemic? I know there's a lot of things that got delayed for one reason or another, but th- I feel like this is the last big summer mm. blockbustery type film that was supposed to come out and then mm. didn't. I know uh, a lot of films' productions were delayed yeah. because of the f- pandemic. And but this one was, was basically big, uh, done. A big uh, Tom Cruise action set piece, the new Mission Impossible film. Yeah, but this one was basically in the can. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, they, they waited and they waited, and it's finally yeah. out, and now you can see it. Uh, and uh, I don't know how you feel about the original Top Gun from well, 1986. Let's, let's start with that. It's All a right. movie uh, we've both seen. We both have our opinions mm-hmm. about uh, Top Gun was one of the films that shot Tom Cruise into the stratosphere. He was already a pretty big actor. Um, he started off with a couple of small roles in the films Endless Love and Taps. And then just two years later, he had like four big movies in theaters. He was in The Outsiders. He was in All the Right Moves. He was in Losing It. And then he was in like the real big, like, oh, shit, this is actually a pretty good movie, Risky Business. Mm. Afterwards, he was in Ridley Scott's Legend, which I'm quite fond of, but mm. is a big old mess. I, uh, you know what? It... If you turn off all the dialogue and you yeah. just play a lot of like uh, glam rock and some other like yeah. really trippy if you, music, if you over Giorgio Moroder's Metropolis, yeah, this thing, you know, yeah, make it a silent movie with a cool soundtrack, and and, and also get like a, a really huge bong rip, and uh, that'll. <laughs> 
that that's a movie. That, that's how you watch Legend. You don't listen to any of the the yeah. story or the dialogue. That, yeah. that that's not the story is not where you're here for Legend. No. Legend is Legend is aesthetic only. Uh, and as and as aesthetic only, mm. I, I think the director's cut of Legend is better, if only because they have the original orchestral score okay. and not like the '80s synth score that it mm. got slapped on uh, in post, uh, which is fine. But mm. the original version is a lot more conventionally like epic. It feels it a lot feels more, more like a fantasy. Feels more timeless. Picture, yeah. It feels more timeless. Whereas the the theatrical release feels like very very much of its time. Um, it's not like a great movie, but by God, does it look cool? And <laughs> I can I can just get totally lost in it. But then the year after that, funny double feature because in addition to Top Gun, which mm. was a monster. Like a gigantic mega success. Uh, The other movie he came out with that year was a legacy sequel. He also came up with The Color of Money. Yeah, Yeah. The Color of Money was a film directed by Martin Scorsese starring Tom Cruise and Paul Newman. And it was a sequel to the classic pool movie The Hustler, which had come out in the 60s. And was one of the films that really put Paul Newman over the top. Uh, The Hustler is great. Great uh, movie. And when you want to compare sort of young, handsome movie stars on the rise comparing Paul Newman in 1960 to uh, Tom Cruise in 1986 is pretty comparable. Not not far off. um, Not far off. Yeah. uh, Tom Cruise in recent years, that is to say for like the last two decades of his career, uh, he has served as a producer on most of his works. And in fact, he has a lot of creative hand as to what's going to go into the work. Mm. He has a big hand in casting. He uh, talks with directors and writers to come up with story beats. He doesn't write or direct himself, mm. but he does oversee very closely because his I movies think... feel like Tom Cruise movies yeah, for whatever. Yeah. For, and what that means may vary to you, but he there's is, definitely uh, a consistency to a lot of his work lately. Tom Cruise is clearly very concerned with his image as a movie mm-hmm. star. He wants he clearly wants to be perceived in a certain way. And I feel yeah. like the last maybe 15 years of his career, mm. he uh, has pushed really, really hard into convincing the world that he isn't ever going to die. <laughs> like, he, he is thumbing his nose at mortality yeah. in film after film after film. Yeah, he's, honest, he's ageless, like, and I'm sure I'm sure he's at least dying his hair. Like, he's, uh, yeah, he, he's uh, gotta be, right? Tom Cruise is 59 years old. And, yeah. uh, he, and he looks uh, good for 59. No one can pretend he doesn't look good for 59. He, he looks good for 30, and that's I know. the point. Yeah. Uh, he has... I, I noticed in Top Gun Maverick, there's a few... Sh- uh, uh, shots of him with his shirt off, but they're actually really careful to like frame him from the shoulders up. Yeah. I think he doesn't want his torso on camera so much. Yeah, anymore. you don't get the shirtless volleyball Tom Cruise yeah. scenes in this one, but he's still looking great. I mean, and he's still really capable of it. There was a scene yeah. in um, uh, Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation, mm. the, the best one, which is uh, seven years ago now. Yeah, where uh, he is tied to a pole shirtless. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, the pole is, it, it's not attached to the ceiling. It's just a big pole sticking up toward yeah, the ceiling. It's like a, it's it's like like a, a flagpole. Uh, I was, was going well, to say it's like a, um, what do you call the tether ball? A tether, it's like a tether ball. It's a tether ball post. Yeah. He's tied to this tether. And Napoleon Dynamite and his girlfriend come in and start hitting. But it's like him. it's like eight feet tall. Yeah. And there's this he. Uh, oh yeah. yeah the action it's, it's breaks cool. out in this scene and he's able to escape in mm-hmm. the middle of this action. Yeah. He doesn't break his like pick the lock on his handcuffs or anything. What yeah. he does is he grabs the pole, flips his body upward. He points his feet toward the ceiling and his head uh-huh. down while hanging onto the pole, and somehow does this weird sort of kick flip. Uh-huh. upward toward the ceiling, pushing his whole body up to the top of the pole where he can take his hands off of the top of it. Yeah. 
And he seems to have I've actually done that for real. I've never seen anything like that it, before. He's an incredible... Listen, like he's, he's just a, trying to outdo Jackie Chan in some of this stuff. I think that actually is something he's very specifically trying to do. And this is more relevant in Mission Impossible. And there's a new mm. one coming out soon. And we'll talk about it more then. But when it comes to the Mission Impossible movies, Tom Cruise is so adamant about doing his own stunts. Hmm. Uh, which I appreciate in terms of, oh, we want to do this for real. It's like more impressive cinema that way. But I, there was a question. Um, he This movie premiered at Cannes, uh, and there was an interview with uh-huh. Tom Cruise, and someone asked him in that interview, why do, you, why do you do this? Why do you, like, you don't just make movies. You, like, defy death yeah. when you do it. And Tom Cruise had a, had a bit, and everyone applauded. He was like, well, nobody ever asked Gene Kelly why he danced. Yes, they did. There's a lot of biographers. Gene yeah. Kelly. <laughs> yeah, Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly did it for two reasons. It was the family business, and he went into it. And also, he thought it would help him pick up girls. He specifically <laughs> said that. He specific well, people asked that why? Yeah. Because it's relevant. If you're telling me, Gene Kelly was alive for the like over half a like I forget how old he was like in the 70s when he died or something. And no one asked him that? That's like the, oh, mm. the most relevant question in the world. You have to skip the first few chapters of his mm. biography otherwise. And, uh, there's, so, like, there's also I, it's, this, a val- uh, it's a valid question to yeah. ask why Tom Cruise is so insistent upon not just making grand movies. I can appreciate that. I think he mostly does a good job. But why he is so insistent on putting himself in harm's way or mm. making sure that, you know, when he's in a jet plane it isn't fake and he's actually like piloting it or he's in the back of it or whatever like that and he's really doing it which is makes for cool cinema but it is also I can only imagine how much it costs to insure a Tom Cruise movie it's gotta really jack up the price of the uh, film I bet studios aren't always happy about it and and while I'm impressed with a lot of this death defying stuff that he's doing and Mm. really trying to trying to visibly push himself Mm -hmm. Uh, and there are some actors who just are more comfortable pushing themselves to extremes. That's where they like to perform. Christian Bale does this yeah, a lot yeah, when he you know, inhabits like a character physically. He likes yeah, to really push that. He'll like uh, gain yeah. a lot of muscle mass, or he'll put on a lot of weight, or he'll lose a lot of weight. Yeah, um, just that. That's Christian Bale. Same with Jake Gyllenhaal. He'll really mm-hmm. torture himself for a role, even if he doesn't need to. Yeah. Uh, no one. No one asked you <laughs> that's, to, that's dude. Not, you don't need to do that. It's that's yeah. a choice. Uh, it's difficult for me to watch a Tom Cruise movie, especially one like Top Gun Maverick, and not see the Tom Cruise machine at work. Yeah. Um, in Top Gun Maverick, he's playing the same character he did in 1986. Exactly the same character. Nothing's changed for the guy. He's wearing the same jacket. Yeah. He's doing the same job. Uh, he has... He's not with any new... Uh, you know, significant others. He yes, doesn't he have has any a, children. He's not married and doesn't have kids. He never he has, settled down. He hasn't gained any weight. He hasn't lost yeah. any weight. He he looks like a. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna say he looks like a 39 year old version of himself because he's playing yeah. kind of a 39 year old character. Well, let's real fast because we started talking about Top Gun. We got sidetracked talking about Tom Cruise's like persona and career. Just it's, as a okay. baseline, just it's a as a about baseline. Pilots. Okay, now to Maverick. <laughs> Top Gun was a huge hit in 1986. It was directed by Tony Scott. It was also one of the films that really put Tony Scott on the map. Uh, and it is a film about a Navy pilot school. Mm. It's not really a war film. In fact, the only skirmishes that actually occur in the air are against faceless opponents. Like, their faces are entirely covered mm. from a country they never name. Yep. Just because we weren't actually at war with anybody, and it's kind of hard to do a dogfighting movie if there's no one to dogfight against, so they had to make that shit up. But it's actually, more than anything else, it's kind of a school movie. And it's about this hotshot guy at school who thinks he's, like, the toughest quarterback or whatever. And then all the other people on his quarterbacking team, or in this case, piloting team, think he's an asshole. 
because he's only interested in himself and his own career and like how good he can look out there. And he's part of a team and he's actually endangering people. And over the course of the film, he gets his best friend killed. Hmm. And he realizes after that that, oh shit, I need to be more of a team player. And that's mm. the movie. It's a movie about a maverick. That's his call sign. Normally, you would never have a cool call sign. They never give cool call signs. It's mm. supposed to be like highly individualized and kind of embarrassing. But he was a maverick who learned to heroically conform. Because he's part, and that's what the movie is about. The yeah, movie is yeah. about this guy who thinks it's all about him, and he learns that he needs to, like, because he's in the military, he needs to act like a military person. Here, that's the movie. It's it's not much of a movie. It's actually really incredibly simple, but it like it. That's the film. What what I find really, uh, it doesn't really sit well because I don't think uh, his friend, who's the character is played by um, Anthony Edwards, Anthony Edwards, uh, yeah, the character of Goose who who dies in Top yeah. Gun. Uh, which is a plot point in Maverick, so I'm not spoiling yeah. anything. Oh, you're, you're expected to know that first yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, I, I don't... Like, it, he didn't die, like, by direct malfeasance of Maverick's actions. He... There was... Like, uh, Ma- Maverick, Maverick, Maverick didn't Maverick do was something flying... really hot-dogging and, like, that directly led to his, his he, friend's I death. I forget exactly what it was, and it's something to do with, like, uh, like the mm. Wind Wake or something behind his thing. But basically, Maverick was flying in an unsafe manner. Yeah. And they had to they had to bail out, and mm. Goose was injured, and... Yeah. So it was... Mm. They, they say in this new movie, they clarify, in case anyone's, like, hazy on it, that uh, as far as the military is concerned... Maverick didn't do anything that necessitated a court-martial or anything. It was mm. just unfortunate. But everyone basically, like Iceman, played by Val Kilmer, everyone else agreed Goose would be alive if Maverick wasn't pulling his shit. All right. So that's um, that's basically the uh, message Go- we're supposed to get. Goose had a, a wife and a son, mm-hmm. young young child son. Uh, Mom was played by Meg Ryan before mm. she was big. Uh, for some reason, Goose got all of the pictures and dog tags of, or uh, Maverick got all of Goose's stuff. Yeah. Rather than Meg Ryan. I, I guess they uh, took a lot of pictures, and that's why, like, it really, so. like, like, her house uh, was, like, covered with them. <laughs> it's significant that he has son because his son is now an adult and uh, mm. Top Gun Maverick is now played by Miles Teller yeah. and uh, he is also he, just the exact same character he's gone into yeah. the Navy pilot school mm-hmm. he's he uh, plays piano daughter. He's his call sign play- is Rooster instead of Goose they- he's got a mustache just like Anthony Edwards is. looks just like him too when he puts on the glasses <laughs> he looks just like Anthony Edwards a good casting mm. I'll give him that that's good casting uh, the, uh, he and all of his other uh, sort of hot dog and young pilots now mm. need a chance to be trained and uh, the Navy has decided to hire Maverick to be yeah. their teacher uh, after a, an opening sequence where he destroys a billion-dollar jet and isn't court-martialed. Maverick's mm-hmm. character arc is a flat line. Yeah. He is cool and confident. He does bad things because he wants to. Uh-huh. He is not punished, and he remains cool and confident. Yeah, he never gets, like, they mentioned that, like, if you hadn't pulled all of this shit constantly throughout your career, you'd probably be an admiral or maybe even like a senator by now because mm. of your incredibly illustrious military record. But you're consistently an asshole. And I do appreciate that there is a plot point in this movie. And it's, again, it's made clear early on. It's, not a lot happens in this movie, actually. So it's hard to spoil most of it. <laughs> like, it's, it, I don't mean that really in a negative way. It's just a simple narrative. Yeah. Uh, but they make it clear really early on that the only reason Maverick has not been like 
like thrown out of the Navy is because Iceman, the Val Kilmer character, actually had a really good career and he's been backing him up this entire time. Every time he's been fired from some like important position and about to be kicked out of the Navy, Iceman's just like, okay, but can you send him over here? And they're like, oh, Christ, fine. What wouldn't it have been keen if it turns out like he was murdering people or like actually doing something really horrible? And he was being shunted around. It's like, no, we're going to protect this guy. Yeah. And then he's just a serial killer. Yeah. The, uh, the main plot is basically he's not going back to Top Gun just to teach new recruits. He's actually going back to Top Gun because there is one important mission that will require manned pilots and not drones, which is what the consistently the military is more and more using for a variety of practical there's, reasons. There's one line of dialogue about how, oh, yeah. these, these pilots aren't going to be needed in a couple of yeah. years. Ed Harris has a brief scene where he talks about how mm-hmm. Tom Cruise's people are on the way out, but he's like, not yet. And I'm like, the, yeah, I got one more movie out of this. Ed Harris, who was just passing by the set one day. <laughs> yeah. um, he, he has very little to do. Once again, faceless country and enemies have one bad thing that needs to be bombed, and the only way to bomb it is by doing the trench run from Star Wars A New Hope. Pretty much, yeah. But I will say this. A lot of people are comparing this to Star Wars A New Hope, and it's a whole movie is about training to do this nearly impossible flight stunt and, like, a series of, like... Yeah, flying down inside a crater yeah, and, and bomb a little Then you have to accelerate up to, like, 9.5 Gs, which will nearly crush your lungs together. Like, it's really, really hard. And I, I, the movie is all about training for this mission... And then doing this mission, and then the mission goes unexpectedly because that's how movies work. Um, <laughs> that's not Star Wars A New Hope. Star Wars A New well, Hope threw that in at the end. What this is, is the damn busters. I'll, 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 I was going to say it's Refifi, but uh, it, well, it, it, pl- one. it plays like a heist movie. Yeah. And that they set up how the heist is going to work. Yeah. They go through all of the steps, and then, of course, along the way, little things go wrong where they have to readjust very quickly. Yeah, and I actually, I will say this. And The Dam Busters is a film that directly inspired mm. Star Wars. Parts of it have aged very badly. Uh, but um, as a, like, yeah, training... Don't, don't, the... don't look up the name of the dog oh, in The God. Dam Busters. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And it gets yelled out a lot. It's really horrible. But uh, the structure is actually very clean. And that's something I do like about Top Gun Maverick. It's oh, uncomplicated. It's, it's actually like a very cleanly structured it's, movie. It's, it's not just clean. This thing is polished within an inch of its life. I know, I but have, I, I kind of respect that, though. I have not seen a though. film that is this slick and professionally put forth in a long time. And I like e- that. E- even like uh, some of the last like Marvel films, oh, yeah. which are hugely expensive. Just clumsy. Yeah they, yeah, they feel a little bit sloppy now. And usually yeah. I like that. Usually I like when a film is a little bit sloppy, but mm-hmm. I usually like when it's sloppy in service of a big idea. Yeah. Rather than we just threw this together lazy in post. filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. No, Top Gun, Maverick, and, and we're, I'm going to, I have some critiques of this movie, but uh, I will say. It's directed say... by uh, Joseph Kosinski, by the way, yeah. who did Oblivion with Tom Cruise. He did Oblivion with Tom Cruise. He did Tron Legacy. He's a very technically proficient filmmaker. What was that firefighter movie he did with uh, Miles Teller and Josh Brolin and Jennifer Connelly? Well, not it's like ladder, only the brave or something. 49, no, 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 no. It's like only the brave. I think that, that sounds was. right. I didn't see it, but yeah, Hold I, on. that sounds right. Yeah, it was only the brave. It was a true story about a bunch of firefighters who uh, uh, sacrificed themselves, and uh, it's pretty good. Um, he's an incredibly technically proficient filmmaker. He's not a particularly emotional filmmaker. So I thought it was interesting because the original Top Gun is a movie that's told mostly through the gut. Like, it's mostly just through, like, machismo that that movie exists. To the extent that the movie actually... And I'm one might argue that this was unintentional. I don't know. I, I can't talk to Tony Scott anymore. That the movie has some really profoundly queer overtones. 
Like it really, it really is. It is a very it's, uh, well, it's, it's uh, what uh, homoerotic call, movie yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, I have to cite uh, the the uh, respondent Dave White for introducing me to the term homosocial. Yeah. Uh, where uh, ostensibly heterosexual males, mm-hmm. specifically, but women as well, mm-hmm. uh, will get together in an all all same sex environment and mm-hmm. behave in. A, a pretty queer manner. They'll be very yeah. physically intimate with one another in a way. Yeah. Uh, all of this like showering nude in front of another and a lot of physical uh, contact, you know, the pranks that involve like whacking your genitals on each other. Yeah. Uh, homosocial behavior. And that that's all over Top Gun. Yeah. It's all men and they're yeah. all, you know, staying in barracks and they're all shirtless and they play sports and, together. And, and, it, and even and though Tom Cruise, like they're really attracted to And even though Tom Cruise like has like a romantic subplot with Kelly McGillis, who's very good in the movie, he's got more chemistry with Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. who like, it's really antagonistic. And then any other movie, you'd expect them to like end up together at the end because of that way that chemistry starts and where it ends so that movie was very very guttural this is not that movie and in fact when the movie tries to get really like emotional like oh god i remember moose so bad it feels a little rote it's Mm. it's conveying what it's conveying it's clear what's happening but i never really feel super passionate about it it really feels like we're here to show you awesome aerial shit and it looks awesome and they really oh, did God. it, it the, and it looks cool. I, I got to see the, the yeah. screening I saw was on yeah. a, an outsized IMAX screen. And yeah. this, this, it feels like an IMAX museum movie. Like, mm. we're going to show a lot of these really cool plane stunts. We're going to make sure you know that yeah. these are actual plane stunts. And mm. uh, from what I understand, the planes they used are construction constructed in such a way where someone can pilot the plane while someone in the back can uh, can sort of sit and look like they're piloting. Yeah, they, and, they uh, dress so, it up. So, so that, yeah. the actors are actually in planes going through all of these things. They're not flying the planes. No, this actual, looks like a, it. A trained yeah. pilot is, but yeah. yeah. The, the, so the plane stunts are real, yeah. and the actors are actually in there. They went on, up on those planes. They actually barfed a bunch. I'll bet. Uh, just because Tom Cruise is committed to that kind of truthfulness. Yeah, and you know what? Hmm. Cool. And co- yeah, it, it looks, looks cool. It like looks, it looks it's, like it's cool. Look, it's, it's slick and it's awesome. It's one of the coolest looking movies I've seen in a mm. while. It just looks shiny, mm. and it looks like it looks like um, it, it looks like a fancy sports car you want to buy but can't afford. <laughs> it's just yeah. like ooh, I want to, I want to. It's like that line in Ferris Bueller. Ferris, he never drives it. He just rubs it with a diaper. Mm. I just want to rub this movie with a diaper. I just want to shine it up real nice. Uh, this movie, however, despite its its shininess, very. is a lot is a lot like Tom Cruise himself mm-hmm. in that uh, very handsome, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly capable, mm. uh, you know, protective of his image, really kind of dazzling in this almost inscrutable kind of way, and. Difficult to imagine being close to. Uh, Tom Cruise has made his on-screen persona, and this is not something he's done uh, on purpose, is being alone in a crowd. He he feels very isolated from the characters around him. He feels weirdly inhuman in a lot of ways, and I feel that way about. That's a fair point, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, you know, there's the the only times where I really see him sort of cracking through and tapping into uh, like Mm. an actual note of humanity is when he's playing. Either assholes or murderers. Uh, Jerry Maguire. Uh, Jerry Mag- not so much Jerry Maguire. Really? I didn't play an asshole in there. Uh, Magnolia was the one I was going to mention. Oh, well, uh, that's a different movie, but yeah, fair yeah, enough. Ma- Magnolia is, uh, he plays this like horrible misogynist character who has sort of made a business 
about uh, you know, taking back misogyny, like try, taking back manhood and, and pretty much uh, emotionally, intentionally emotionally injuring women as a matter of course. Like right. that's, that's your right as a man. That's his character in that movie. Yeah. And he is just, he's brash and he's awful. He's rude to everybody. And I feel like there's something really true about what he's doing in that movie. Mm. Uh, the other one that I really like him in was Collateral. Yeah, where he plays an movie. assassin because he's just sort of like brutal and, and forthright. He's not heroic in that movie at all. He's the opposite. He's it's, the villain it's, of it's, that movie. It's interesting that the movies you really like Tom Cruise mm-hmm. in are the movies which are basically the most against type he's ever played. Uh, and I think those are his strengths. I think he yeah. he's worked so hard to build an image that it's actually more interesting when he's not doing that anymore. No, um, I, I, I don't I, disagree. And I feel that there's, there's a little bit of distance... Uh, between me and Top Gun Maverick as a result. I don't get emotionally involved in this because there's nothing to get really emotionally involved with. I actually completely agree. I Mm. think the movie, its emotional storyline is just all about like, will Tom Cruise get over Goose? Will Rooster get over being mad Mm. at Tom Cruise? Will Tom Cruise date Jennifer? Will will Tom Cruise date Jennifer Connelly? You fucking bet he will. Mm. Like, that's... There's a cute scene where um, he's he's gone on a date with Jennifer Connelly and uh, they're... Uh, getting down in the uh, in the attic of her house, and mm. her teenage daughter comes home, and he's got to escape. And he's like, "Oh, you, you, I don't, I don't want her knowing that you were here. I want to set a good example. So sneak out the window." It's like y- you're 59. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. That's actually, cute. <laughs> but like, that's actually is... a good example here because the actual scene of physical intimacy uh-huh. between Maverick and Jennifer Connelly's character—I think her name is Jenny, or actually, I don't mm. remember, but. Uh, the scene that physical intimacy between him and her feels really false. Yeah, it's just basically right. we smiling at each other. I'm taking my shirt off. Cool. And then it's a shot of her on the bed. Then it's a shot of her on top of her, just kind of looking at her and smiling. Yeah. And then afterwards they're talking like it's not compare that to like the sex scene in the original Top Gun. Which mm. you don't see a lot, but like there's there's a sex scene. There's though. a yeah. sex scene. It's sweaty. Mm. It's actually like it's Tony Scott. We're gonna say. Well, it's that, it's that's where they play passionate. Take my breath away is during that I sex scene, think isn't it? So, if yeah. memory serves, um, it's not a sensual film, and I put a lot of this on Joseph Kaczynski. He's not a sensual filmmaker. No, he's, he's, a, he's very, a very mechanical. He's filmmaker. a very mechanical yeah. filmmaker, and sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's what you want. Um, Top Gun, I think maybe could have used a little bit more emotional juice, but. Um, I don't know. I feel like one of the things that's keeping me from... I, it's, this isn't like a bad thing per se, mm. but I found it distracting. Mm. Uh, you've mentioned, I think like twice now in this review, that you feel like Maverick uh, has is just kind of stayed the same. He's been like a straight line mm. from the first movie to this one. I don't entirely agree, but I think he regressed. Because if you look at the original Top Gun, as I said, it's a movie mm. about him learning he's not special. He may be talented... But he actually has a responsibility to the people around him to follow rules because otherwise people die. Uh-huh. So the movie ends with him realizing that he's not special and he actually needs to change in order to be a better soldier. Which is a good lesson if you're going to be a soldier, I guess. If not, it might you might want to reject that. Uh, Top Gun 2 is about how Maverick is super duper special and the Navy needs to change to, to meet him. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. That is, right. an, it was a completely different message. It's not as a repugnantly different a message as, say, the difference between the message of First Blood and Rambo: First Blood Part Two, where the first movie was about how Vietnam was a hellscape that left everyone traumatized and 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 miserable, mm. and then the second one was about rah rah, let's fight Vietnam again. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, they don't really track. 
This one is just basically just like this one becomes more of a star vehicle than even the original Top Gun was, and it was a star vehicle, right? And so, but this one's all about how Tom Cruise is basically perfect. Does he feel bad about stuff? Yeah. Does he have any consequences for anything he does? Not in this yeah. one. At least in the first well, one, he got someone a, killed. Nothing bad happens to him here. We uh, we, we talked about. And I'm only going to talk about it vaguely, just to not give spoilers. But yeah, they're not. Yeah, we talked about it at the end of uh, Doctor Strange. Mm. There, there's this moment at the very end where it looks like uh, after dabbling with the dark arts and doing all of this shady stuff, mm-hmm. that the Doctor Strange is going to face some consequences. Yeah. He, he, did a little bit too much evil. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a mid-credit sequence that completely undoes it. Completely neutralizes It's like, oh, wait, oh, guess no consequences then. Just yeah. keep on going. I feel like there's a moment in Top Gun Maverick mm. where it looks like something dramatic has really happened. I know exactly the moment you're talking and, about. Yeah, and that would have been an excellent place to finish the movie. Yeah, you want a little bit of a denouement afterwards, yeah, but, but yeah, you could have just ended it there and it would have like, really meant something. Yeah, it's like, okay, and now it looks like uh, yeah. Maverick actually did come to some sort of realization, or he did yeah. do something that had more meaning than the stuff he had done previously. Than just being yeah. a badass, yeah. yeah. And then there's a secondary climax mm-hmm. uh, after this moment, yeah, where it turns from something with a little bit of meaning into something really, you know, additionally exciting. It's, it's very moving, exhilarating, yeah. everything that happens after uh, that. It's really cool. But, but it also has a little twinge of, like, old dogs to it. It's kind of this yeah. old guy's still got it kind of yeah. vibe to that last portion of the movie. There's some fan service elements a, uh, to it, yeah, where it calls where back we, to the original, and yeah, like, it's it's weird. I, 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 f- I feel like there, there should have been a scene where, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is like, yeah, I, I used to listen to cassettes. Oh, no, we have all this information on this audio cassette, but the ribbon has all come out. What are we going to do? Sit tight, guys. I got a pencil. I know how to fix this. <laughs> it's, it's got that pen- vibe. Pencil in the it's yeah, got it's like, that vibe. Like, yeah. Because he knows how to do this like old, dated technology, suddenly that that's what makes him cooler. It's, you're not wrong. That's uh, a good point, actually. It's funny you mention that, actually, because when I was watching the movie... I know exactly what you're saying, and it's mm. a very big moment. I'm sure when you're watching the movie, mm. if you've seen the movie, you probably know the moment we're talking about. If you haven't, when you do, you'll probably go like, "I see what Whitney meant." Then mm. maybe it, w- it would have been a very different ending, but it would have worked mm. dramatically. Uh, there's also a weird bit, and I was thinking the same Doctor Strange thing, but about a different part of the movie. Okay, and it's as the movie is winding down, the mission is over. Mm. People, the people who survive—I'm not going to anything. People who survive come back. And not, not, a, not everybody dies. Maybe not, some people do. Maybe uh, some people uh, yeah, don't. But I'm not going to tell you anything. But there's a bit at the end where one character goes to see another character to sort of wrap up their storyline. Right. And they go to the place where that character always is. And then someone says, oh, they're not here today. I'm like, oh, are they coming back? Don't know when. And then that character goes back to their garage. And then that person <laughs> they were looking for just shows up. And I'm like... What was that scene for? <laughs> we didn't need that scene. Why did we go back? You just leave that scene. What are we? What, why is that here? It's just completely un. It's was that, was random. That, it's just. Was that guy from the garage? Was was that someone? Was that like? No, I don't know who that was. It makes no like sense. A, the producer of the movie wanted to be in it. I guess. I, I guess maybe if that's the case, they, they they're not really calling their shot. They're mm. not like. It's a weird bit, and it's just sort of thing like, yeah, okay, that might happen. But um, the movie's so efficient otherwise, it's weird to just throw in this one random bit where it's like, we're going to wrap up the movie now. It's like, eh, one more scene. Are we going to do anything in this scene? Mm. Literally nothing. Yeah. The scene serves literally no function whatsoever <laughs> except padding the movie two scenes before mm. the ending. 
it doesn't kill the film. It's just weird, yeah. <laughs> considering how yeah. very controlled the rest of the movie is. Um, but I will say this. I will say this. R- wrapping this up a bit. Uh, I like it. Okay. I had a, I had a decent time watching it. It's certainly a good spectacle film. Um, I think it loses a lot of what I think made the original Top Gun so... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Impactful. Mm. It, it it lacks that raw emotion. It lacks that raw machismo. Uh, and it replaces it with narrative simplicity, slickness, and hero worship. Your mileage might vary in whether or not you think that's cool. I hear a lot of people saying that's the best thing ever and giving this movie an A+. Mm. For me, I think just the good outweighs the bad. I think it's, uh, well, it's such a slick, exciting action movie. And I am I admire its simplicity in terms of just, here's what we're going to do, then we do it, and it looks cool. Mm. Compared to just how clunky and cluttered so many other like spectacle films are nowadays. Mm. That it, I found that refreshing and fun, but ultimately I found it a little hollow. The, the, I think people are responding very positively. Because, you know, it's just a big, rousing, crowd-pleasing kind of a movie. Undeniably, yeah. Uh, but the, the the level of slickness we see in something like Top Gun Maverick, that should be every summer blockbuster. You'd want that, right? Like, uh, I think, it, you, I think, you I think this movie highlights just how low we've, how much we've lowered our standards. Yeah, and and you, know? you, you and I uh, recently recorded a commentary track for the movie Face Off, the John yeah. Woo film, and that's another pretty slick movie. Uh, yeah. It's dumb. <laughs> it's a really yeah, it's dumb, an absurd premise, <laughs> and, really silly premise, yeah. and a lot of dumb, overblown stuff. But it is enjoyable to watch. Yeah, it's very, it's and very it's, handsomely it's, produced. Yeah, yeah. And, and John Woo is just a, a really yeah. slick director. He knew how to just sort of put every scene and everything locks into place. It doesn't feel shaggy. Yeah. And a lot of bigger summer su- summer blockbusters, even the big budget ones, do have that kind of rushed shagginess to it. It feels like even some it, of the slicker ones. It feels like we're serving a lot of yeah. different uh different overlords, a lot of different needs. You look at I was th- they're not related in any mm. meaningful way, but a big giant expensive movie that's also like a kind of a franchise film that came out really recently. The Fantastic Beasts: The Secrets of Dumbledore. Oh goddy. Just Golly, just yeah, think yeah. about just how much and I know that movie had a lot of shit going on behind the scenes, but it's not unindicative of the previous Fantastic Beasts movie. Just think about how just like thrown in a pile everything in that movie feels yeah, like. Well, it doesn't feel it's... like it's carefully coordinated in order to maximize the impact of the story or the entertaining events that take place over the course of it that would drive someone to a theater. I think what we've lost sight of and something that Top Gun Maverick provides is just raw entertainment value. Yeah. A lot of uh, the bigger films recently have all been uh, franchise pictures. They've all been hmm. uh, drawing from the, the films that came before it, drawing on a lot yeah. of no, not just nostalgia, but direct knowledge of the events that came before, all the interconnectivity stuff. Yeah. That's Star Wars, that's Fantastic Beasts, that's Marvel. Yeah. Uh, and I think the filmmakers are getting a little lazy because they think just that recognition, the shock of recognition, Mm. this congratulating yourself for having that knowledge is going to stand in for raw entertainment. Right. And it can go a long way as we've seen. You can totally coast on that. If you're all of these series, they they keep on, they keep on going. You can coast on that for a while, but Mm. after a while it just feels a little, little shot, a little hollow, doesn't it? Yeah. And and I, I feel like we might, Finally, and people have been saying this for years, so yeah. I'm, I'm wrong. No. But uh, <laughs> things things do change over yeah, yeah, time. Think, it think, takes a while. I, I feel like we're kind of re- 
we've reached this sort of like multi-year inflection point mm-hmm. where a lot of we're kind of trying to see how far that will stretch. We've yeah. kind of reached the end of it. It's gone mm-hmm. over the top a couple times. Is continuing to be involved with this gigantic super narrative as thrilling as it used to be, or are we now going to have to start making real thrill, like summer thrill well, moments? Again? I mean, you 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 raise an interesting point. The more Marvel we have, just for an example, just because yeah. it's ubiquitous, they make multiple films a year. The more we have, it's not that they're getting bad. Even it's not that we're getting tired of it. It's just that it can only be so special mm. if we get it constantly. And then it maybe it, it's comforting and it's exciting and there's neat stuff happening in them. But that a film like Top Gun Maverick, which is about a bunch of people in jets, mm-hmm. and at the beginning of the movie they tell you we're going to do this. And then they try really hard to do that. Mm. And at the end, they do that. That that simple, straightforward narrative can feel so much more special than something as conceptually wild as Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness Mm. is noteworthy. And I think this is one of those movies where I think maybe if this exact movie probably wouldn't have been done the same. It would have looked a little different. But like if this script had been done in 1996, Hmm. which it could have been very easily. Very few changes. Very few changes. The drone thing wouldn't be important, but it's not that important here either. Uh, It would have been like, oh, that was a really good movie. It would have been par for the course. But yeah, it would have been been pretty consistent with the level of craft that we were getting in a lot of our summer blockbusters, but that it's coming out now when all the summer blockbusters are feeling so damn shabby it feels more special than maybe it is. And I'm curious how that's going to affect this movie as it ages, because if this does indeed inspire imitators, and I would like that. (laughs) Not legacy sequel. Don't learn the wrong lesson here. We want movies that have exciting premises, exciting things to look at, that are professionally done and cleanly presented. If we get more of that, then maybe this movie won't feel special in the long run, but maybe we'll be better off for it. Mm. So fingers crossed on that. But I like this movie, and I and I was glad I saw it in a theater. It was a pretty nice big film. Yeah. But we should move on. Uh, there's another film that was a uh, major release in theaters, and this is also uh, uh, well, it's a sequel tie-in, really. Uh, this is mm. Bob's Burgers, the Bob's Burgers movie. The Bob's Burgers movie. Yeah, based uh, on Bob's Burgers, the TV show. Do you watch the Bob's Burgers TV show? I've seen a lot of it. Okay. Uh, I, I don't make it a point, but mm. I do enjoy it. Um, it's uh, it's a show that uh, Michelle and I, my partner, we've uh, we didn't used to watch, but uh, sometime during the pandemic, we uh, were looking for like long shows to like yeah, watch when we eat lunch or Bob, something like that. It's notable that Bob's Burgers just finished its eleventh season. Yeah, so we're we're we still haven't we're, we're like on season nine in our watch along, mm-hmm. which we've been taking our sweet time on, but we've seen most of it. Yeah. And uh, it's a very funny show. It's a very sweet show. It's got a lot of good characters. Mm. Uh, it's a story about a guy named Bob. If you're unfamiliar with it, he's a guy named Bob. Uh, he has a not very successful burger restaurant mm. on the wharf on somewhere on the East Coast. I think it's supposed to be like New Jersey or Philadelphia or yeah. something. Um, it, it, it's uh, like a lot of animated family sitcoms. Mm-hmm. It's modeled after the, the success of The Simpsons. One of the many, many, many children that The Simpsons yeah. has sort of spawned. Uh, yeah. In that, it's a family that it, of kind of eccentric outsiders, mm-hmm. which is The Simpsons. Uh, oh, yeah. And 
but one that sort of focuses on this joke that at the end of the day, these weirdo outsiders kind kind of have an affection for each other. Oh yeah, they they do. They uh, care about each other a lot. Yeah. It's especially strong in Bob's Burgers. The idea mm. of the characters in Bob's Burgers is that they all have very strange proclivities. They could be Wes Anderson characters. Oh yeah, for how obsessed they are with their own specific thing. But as a family, they all accept those eccentricities. Like, I don't understand you. You're very strange, but you're part of this family, and we're just going to go along with this. Yeah. So there's uh, there's Bob. He is the restaurateur. He's the chef. Uh, He's actually an incredibly good burger chef, but just things never work out, and his restaurant never quite takes off. Uh, There's his wife, Linda, who is extremely energetic and very enthusiastic about everything, often to a fault. And they have three kids. The eldest is Tina, who's in the eighth grade, and she is very she's uh, boy crazy. Yeah, she's she's super, very into super boys. horny character. Yeah, she's very into boys. She's constantly falling in love. It's very sweet. Uh, then there's Jean, but, but, the uh, middle. Yeah. But she's very deadpan. Uh, yeah, it, it's worth noting that uh, both Linda and Tina are played by men. Yes. Uh, then there's Jean, who's played by Eugene Merman. Uh, he's uh, you know an outsider kid, very eccentric, and also very much into music mm. and farts. He thinks farts are very funny, which they get more mileage out of than you'd think. And, uh, and then there's Louise, who's the youngest, and she's but she's the leader. She's, she's the leader. The leader. Of the whole family, she, really. she, she's precocious. She's rebellious. Uh, but I what I appreciate, and I'm glad the movie deals with this, is that she's also more emotionally vulnerable than she cares to admit. She's never seen without her pink rabbit ear hat, mm. uh, which the show almost never comments on, and the movie it is kind of important. It's, the, it's a well, it, because this is a movie, we have to mm. sort of push the the narrative into new places, places yeah. they wouldn't go with the TV show. So, the so pl- they they address yeah. the bunny hat in yeah. the movie. The plot of the movie is uh, it's summer. And uh, their kids are leaving school And Bob's Burgers uh, is they, they have a loan out from the bank For all of their like restaurant equipment And they need an extension on it And at the beginning of the movie They're told No, you have to pay us back this goddamn loan mm-hmm. And they can't afford it And they're worried about losing the restaurant Meanwhile And, and, and wouldn't you know it uh, Right in front of the restaurant yeah. A sinkhole opens up in the street Blocking so, the entrance So no one can get there Even if they wanted to And they're just completely screwed and then on top of everything, inside the sinkhole, Louise, who is trying to prove because her rabbit ears is starting to cause attention at school and people think she's she's, she's a, uh, a baby. They even call her baby at school yeah, as a pejorative. So, so she um, wants to pr- prove that she's not cowardly. Yeah, so she decides to go into the sinkhole to prove that she's brave. And in the sinkhole, she finds a dead body. And now it's up to the kids to solve the murder yeah. while the adults do what they can to save the restaurant. And the murder may have been committed by their landlord and they're thinking if we prove the landlord didn't commit murder he'll let us he'll, he'll cut us some slack on the rent and we'll be able to pay off the lawn and the restaurant will be saved right so most of the movie is the kids investigating this murder which is an actual murder like it's not like we fake out and we find out it was never a murder like it's actually like a murder mystery movie which is a little dark for bobs it has to do with the uh uh, carnival that's at the end of the wharf uh, yeah. that uh, Bob's Burgers is really close to, uh, yeah. the carnies that work there, and yeah, the eccentric land uh, landowner mm-hmm. who's played by Kevin Klein. Yeah, very uh, funny Kevin Klein. Uh, and sort of, and how he owns all of the land around in the area, and sort of yeah. all of the, the secret underbelly of the city they live in. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, Tina's uh, worried about her relationship with the boy across the street who, I'm sorry, does not deserve her. <laughs> You need to break up with Jimmy Jr. Zeke is right there. He's so much better. He's, yeah, he's got problems too, but he's so much better for you. And uh, then the Gene has no plot to speak of. He just wants to be a musician. And then Louise is having a, a kind of a personal crisis over her ears. 
Um, Linda, in fact, is pulled. Al- she doesn't have a lot of agency in this movie either. She's no, didn't pull- pulled along with the action. No, she, she's uh, great. She's love that character, but like they, they, the movie's not about her really. The uh, the because this is a movie, the animation is a little bit slicker than it is on mm-hmm. TV. They try to do a yeah. little bit more interesting things visually, more lighting it's, and uh, more more backgrounds. It's, it's it, nice. It does, actually, it has kind of a, a kind of like a coloring book uh, color scheme yeah uh it's it's not not terribly visually sophisticated now that's kind of you know the charm of the show yeah uh, the design of the characters drives me nuts oh, you don't they, like it? they all look like thumbs uh and <laughs> and uh the point is that they're all kind of deadpan characters so i have these kind of like dead fish eyes throughout the you know that's just part of the design okay so you're not you're even though you've watched the show you've never quite gotten used to the aesthetic uh, yeah yeah okay. there's there's especially um what was the name the the boy that uh, Gene Gene not not Gene uh, the boy that um, oh Jimmy uh, Junior Tina had a crush on Jimmy Junior Jimmy Junior yeah. yeah like something about his weird chinless face <laughs> it's like it looks like he literally looks like a Q tip and uh, it, I understand that's yeah. they're trying to go for like this very striking character design but yeah it's mm. it never. I'm not gonna lie. One hundred percent with me. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, that was actually one of the reasons why I never really sat down with Bob's Burgers before we started binging it at home. Mm. Um, I, I found the aesthetic just not very, not very yeah. visually appealing, and it was. It took me a few episodes before just the character work grabbed me more. Oh, yeah. And now, and now that I think the design is quite charming. Yeah, well, but I, it was definitely was, not what I was. I, uh, I was. I was leaning towards or gravitating yeah, I, towards. I, I, I bring it up because you know you're watching uh, a thirty minute cartoon. Yeah, you're, you're getting lost in sort of. The, there's two songs per episode, and there's all this yeah. character work, and there's a lot of incident. Mm. And the movie is over an hour and a half, and I th- feel like after a while. Those voices, those characters, those scenarios do start to get a little shrill. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a little bit of an issue. And that's uh, a big issue when it comes to adapting like an animated show to feature films. That yeah. I've, I've seen this before with stuff like From the Simpsons to Recess. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, a and lot especially of... Especially Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Yeah, oh, golly, Aqua Teen Hunger. And that movie's only like 79 minutes. It's and like... it feels like eight hours. Yeah, like because, it's just way too manic. Because th- that, that show is 15 minutes and that's all you need. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very br- manic it's experience. It's brilliant and... at 15 minutes. Yeah, but stretching that to feature length yeah. is a killer. So yeah. I, I feel like there's a little bit of a strain going on taking Bob's Burgers to the big screen. I don't disagree. I don't think... For me, it's not an aesthetic issue where like I find the, char- start, the characters starting to get annoying or... Mm-hmm. I start losing interest in the visuals. Again, I like the way this movie looks. I like that they, um, you know, brought, brought an extra slickness to the animation and the lighting. I think it looks nice. But um, I do agree that it's one of those situations. I think I think it's twofold for me. Uh, one, um, this could have been done in a two part episode. This is this <laughs> is just it's 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 a it's a cute story. I, I liked it. I laughed. Uh, but. Um, it doesn't really warrant a movie. In fact, I can think of several episodes of Bob's Burgers that were way more epic than this. Hmm. Like just the the water balloon fight episode alone, which is a one parter, was just like had such a had such a much so much more grandeur to it than this. Uh, that um, yeah, this feels kind of quaint. I don't know if it really justifies the spectacle approach, um, but uh, yeah, so it feels a little padded. I think that's mm. that's that is a problem. I also think it's just the simple fact that, uh, and this is something that I've found a lot of TV shows. There aren't a lot of TV shows that get a movie while the show is still on the air, because mm. most TV shows don't last that long. Like 
it's rare for, for a TV show to get five seasons nowadays, let alone something like Bob's, which is approaching like 12. It's about to start its 12th season. Yeah, or right? just did or whatever. But like, yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, And I think it's fair to say that as charming as it is, and again, I'm on season nine. Mm. Um, It's lost a little steam. Okay. And I don't, I don't begrudge it that. Nine seasons? That's so many seasons. That's so much work. That's so much characters. That's so many stories you've done with these characters. You can only, like, push them and challenge them so much after a while. And I think instead of becoming, like, a, a wonderful thing to discover, mm. it becomes kind of comfort food. You know? It's not like, oh, there's a new restaurant down the street. Let's go there. It's so exciting. And then after you've gone there five times a week for the last couple of years, it no longer feels exciting. It's just nice and comfortable. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie. If this movie had maybe come out around season five or something, maybe there would have been a little bit, it would have, the, the story would have been a little bit more inspired. Okay. Um, but uh, like, I feel the same way about the Simpsons movie where that's a perfectly good movie, mm. but the Simpsons had kind of already run out of a little juice by then. And it just doesn't feel like maybe the kind of completely brilliant thing we might have gotten if we got in season seven the best thing about the simpsons movie was the insane amount of marketing they did for that Mm -hmm. movie uh to the point where they converted entire 7-elevens into quickie marts that was cool and and they sold quickie mart products they changed the products and you know what that's a hell of a marketing stunt. Heck yes. Every, that was a people very were exciting marketing stunt. I was. Line that was cool. Out. I did too. Yeah. yeah. We, we got a, there was a chutney flavored uh, Slurpee <laughs> and uh, and it sold out immediately. People, yeah. oh, everybody wanted the chutney flavored squishy. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah. Bob's Burgers. The, the, the last thing I want to say about Bob's Burgers before we go is um, the show, as you mentioned, has a lot of musical numbers in it. Uh, sometimes more than one per episode. And a lot of them are good. Like, a lot of the music is just, like, really fun, oh, yeah, clever. Yeah. Often they're novelty songs, but there's, they're very good novelty songs. There's a songs. couple Bob's Burgers records you can buy. Yeah, and there and there's some bangers on there. Like, there's some really fun stuff, and the stuff that isn't good is still really, really cute and endearing. And the movie starts with a really good song mm-hmm. uh, called Sunny Side Up Summer. And it's about all of them who think they're going to have the best summer of their lives, and then immediately after the song, they all crash and burn. Uh, and it starts off great. And they're like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm in the theater. I'm like, oh, right. This is going to be a musical. And I like their music. Well, this is going to be such a treat. And then there's like two other songs in the yeah, movie, yeah, which is, it, they didn't have to, but it feels like a missed opportunity because that's I, something Bob's excels yeah. at. The, the Something that uh, kind of broke the curse of, of that um Feels like an overblown episode of the TV show. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, feels like it's a little bit shrill at, at feature length. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the South Park movie? I feel yeah, which like, again, yeah. at the height of South yeah, Park, when it was still very when fresh, it was huge, yeah. and, and that was a huge movie. Yeah. There were like eight songs in there, and they're all great. Yeah, they were. Uh, they were doing part things, of that movie things the music, with the yeah. movie that they couldn't do on TV. Uh, yeah. Really pushing the crassness uh, well past the, the yeah. point of good taste. Yeah, uh, that movie really works. And I've, I've said before that I think the South Park movie is actually a pretty solid piece of uh, animated cinema even though the animation is deliberately crude sure uh bob's burgers has yeah it feels more like the simpsons movie and that we're just doing they, it on the big screen and that's enough yeah that's enough kind of reason to do it e- yeah. eased into a little bit of a you can't see my gesture this kind of like lo- yeah. flopping down a little bit gently like on going the bed, with like yeah. rolling waves like easy mm-hmm. going um yeah but i will say this i liked it 
I oh, had fun. Oh, I laughed. Was fine, yeah. uh, but there's definitely something holding it back from being great, and mm-hmm. uh, I think I think we discussed why. Uh, let's move on and let's talk about. Uh, you saw a movie. Uh, speaking of uh, speaking of delicious burgers, <laughs> you saw a movie called Dinner mm-hmm. in America, uh, which sounds delicious. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dinner in America is um, sort of like punk rock John Hughes. I'm sold. Uh, <laughs> it's all it's all about Elias Coteus's character from some kind of wonderful. Uh, uh, maybe uh, you ever see some the, kind of wonderful with Eric with Eric Stoltz? No, I didn't. I, I, Elias Coteus I've plays seen, a. Punk. I've seen I've seen yeah. half of that movie, and I, I still haven't seen Pretty in Pink, so I need to oh, catch up on both. Which I no. understand those are like two halves of the same coin. They but, are uh, Elias Coteus who played Casey Jones in Hugh Jackman's movie. He yeah. played a punk in the. It's, oh, it's a good role. It's funny. Yeah. Uh, this movie takes place in the nineties. It stars mm. an actor named Kyle Gullner, uh, who is oh, an, yeah. an actor I know from. He's been around. He's, he's done been, a lot of yeah. TV. He was the Flash on Smallville. He was mm. uh, a major character in the first couple seasons of Veronica Mars. Yeah, I, that kind I, of thing. I remember uh, seeing him in that uh, really horrendous uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh, actually, speaking of which, he was just in the new Scream. He played a character uh, who. It's like the brother of someone from the original. Oh, yeah. uh, I think he played like Matthew Lillard's like cousin or something in that. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, I, I forget who he played, but, he, oh, but he's yeah, in that very he, briefly. He yeah. plays a character named Simon, and we uh, yeah. the first shot of the movie is he's like taking some sort of weird like chemical medicine mm. uh, as uh, he's like testing chemical medicines so he can get money so he can put out his own punk records. He plays in this band where he wears a ski mask and nobody knows what his real name is uh, and. Uh, he truly lives by the punk ethos. He walks out into the world with his middle fingers extended. He's just this horrible scumbag guy. Steals, he's you know, stomps on people. He's just incredibly rude. Uh-huh. And uh, he has a number one fan. Uh, and she has been writing him uh, these really smutty love letters. And but she doesn't know who he is. And because he just sort of reads the letters, and she doesn't send pictures of her face, he doesn't know who she is either. Uh, mm. uh, the character you've named- got mail. More or less. Okay. Uh, uh, her name is Patty. Uh, she's played by an actress named Emily Skaggs, who uh, is a Tony winner. She was oh. in uh, the musical version of Fun Home. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, so she's uh, living with her parents. Her parents are played by Pat Healy and Marilyn Ricegub. Okay. Uh, and she is weirdly repressed. She's kind of this really nerdy character who has this very kind of posh uh, bedroom and her parents don't really understand her and her secret passion is these punk records and she really wants to see her favorite band play. Uh, he, over the course of the film, by treating people bad, just sort of end, ends up drifting into her life and needing to crash on her couch just through the circumstances of the movie. And uh, it takes them a little while to really realize, wait a minute, you're this guy and you're the one who's been writing me all of these letters. Mm. And it turns into him kind of taking her under his wing at first and teaching her how to say fuck you and steal and how cathartic that is okay. until it turns into something weirdly sweet and romantic between the two of them. Uh-huh. And it turns into this kind of like punk rock romance where they find a lot of power in being mutually hateful outsiders. Uh-huh. Uh, and by the end, it turns into something incredibly sweet and you hate the world as much as they do in a very loving way. Huh. That, that, sounds, that sounds nice. That there's something very, uh, very sweet and beautiful about their truth to the punk rock ethos. Okay, can I ask a question? Uh, yeah, what's up? What do they have for dinner? Uh, various things. Okay. Very, very Why is it called Dinner in America? Is it, mm. it was like a twist or something? Is that like important later? Or there, like... There's a, a line of dialogue early on mm. where he's talking about just sort of dinner in America and you know 
how, how phony it is when you're having dinner with your family. We end up meeting his family, and of course, mm. it's they're very suburban. Or, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost what you'd expect. They're like yeah. really kind of like Reaganauts, is what we used to okay. call them. But it's a metaphor, and basically. It's a metaphor, it's and, like then, all, and then okay. there's later on a, a something about. Um, prison food and how you know that's the only the, the only real free dinner in america is prison food mm. uh so they kind of are using the the institution of meals in the united states mm. as uh sort of a metaphor for how structured everything is okay uh, so it's a punk rock like it's it's a it's, it's a, a punk, punk rock, rock rom-com it's a punk rock rom-com that's yeah. nice and uh, what I appreciate, though, is uh, I've I've seen a lot of movies about sort of punkers and outsiders. I saw one called Metal Lords recently about oh, yeah. like, teenagers who are just really into heavy metal. I forget. Did you like that one? I don't remember. I, I liked it. Yeah, okay, it was right. sweet. And uh, it, it the problem with Metal Lords, if it I mean, it doesn't have any major problems, but it it's about metal, but it doesn't really delve into a lot of the nitty gritty of heavy metal. It yeah. uh, kind of brushes up against a few of the things that are good and bad about it. But more mm. than anything, it's about the relationships between the characters. Mm. I think Dinner in America really understands punk on a di- on a, a deeper an, level as an ethos. Yeah, that that punk yeah. really is about this kind of devotion to anarchy and uh, an actual outward hatred of the system because the systems don't do anything and they're meaningless. Huh. Uh, it, it is this kind of uh, act of defiance against the world and. The characters are you know, amusing. They're assholes, but they're amusing mm. assholes. Yeah. Uh, it does. It is a very light film. It kind of moves trippingly along, but it does understand that there is a great deal of dissatisfaction with these characters. Right. And they do hate a lot about the world, and you understand why. And the world is presented in a slightly cartoony way, so you can kind of see a little bit of a satirical element to it as well. I wonder if there's enough movies now to create like uh, like a category for. Um sweet punk like like cottage punk movies cottage punk well because you take this you take like we are the best maybe metal oh, yeah. lords a little bit you know yeah, just what, sort of like God, we are the best is so sweet yeah it's, <laughs> it's about, like it's, the cutest damn thing it's one of the cutest movies ever it's based on a comic book is, is it belgian i think is that what it is it's uh, no it's, the, it's uh swedish it's swedish is mm. it swedish Okay. Lucas Mudison, yeah. Well, he was Swedish. I don't think the movie is. It's, it's movie... set in Sweden. Okay. Well, in any case, it's about a group of, like, middle school uh, girls who decide mm. to start a punk band in, like, the early 80s, but they have nothing really to rebel against. They, they, they understand just, they that just... rebellion is important, but not quite why. They don't, they don't really have anything meaningful to rebel against yet in their lives, so they end up, like, rebelling against really innocent things like gym class. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. It's about a bunch, of, a bunch of little girls who decide to rebel against gym class by starting a not-very-good punk band. And it's all about the idea of being punk, even though you yourself don't actually really fit the mold. <laughs> but it's it's how punk can be for anybody. And it's mm-hmm. such a damn sweet film. And it's actually like, like it's not like Sing Street where like the music is really, really good. But it cares about music mm-hmm. as a means of expression, even if it's not necessarily like about Wunderkinds who are going to make it yeah, big someday. The, in fact, it's uh, so on, damn good. Only, only one of them can play instruments. Uh, yeah. In fact, it start, the punk band in We Are the Best. I want to talk about it a little bit because I love that it's movie. It's such a good movie. We don't uh, get a chance to do enough. Uh, there's two, two 12-year-olds who are like in seventh mm. grade and they want to start a punk band, but neither of them can play. Yeah. And they do know somebody who can, a, a classmate of theirs, uh, and she's... She plays acoustic guitar. She's one year older, so you know a little bit unapproachable. Mm. Uh, and she she's uh, very devoutly Christian. Mm. And there's a really hilarious scene where they try to get her to join the punk band by explaining to her that 
Christianity and Christ himself was like the most punk rock figure imaginable. Like, Which tre- isn't treating, untrue, it's not actually. Untrue, if and you I would actually love, read the Bible, I'd that's love, kind of I'd love kind to of see a, a, like a, a, a Christ story where you actually get to see like what a, what a firebrand he was. Yeah. He's just like, I feel like Scorsese came close. I, I, I want to see him punching guys in the face. Is well, what I Scorsese say. did that. There was the money changers at the temple. He yeah, saw, I guess he saw so. kicking ass. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's like, oh, it's the Romans. Hey, Romans, fuck you! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, hey, you know what? If we all piss on the Romans' porch... Anyway, I want to I want to see the punk rock Christ. Uh, <laughs> we're getting we're getting in the weeds. <laughs> we we are the best is wonderful, uh, and yeah, yeah it, it is this very sweet story about how how punk rock starts to come into play in your life, and that's yeah. that's a big part of dinner in America as well. Cottage I, I re- punk, I really really liked it. Cottage punk is an appropriate. Term. Yeah, let's start using it. Everyone start tweeting it now, please. Thank you. Hashtag cottage punk. <laughs> yeah, how, All right. not too many films in that genre, but no, let's but let's let's it. get it started. Let's make it a thing. Uh, next up, uh, we might as well move on to the other one you saw without yeah. me, which is uh, look at me XXX Temptation. Yeah. Uh, uh, who is this? I, I've heard. I am so out of the loop in popular culture. Okay. I there's so many people. There's so many names uh-huh. I keep hearing constantly that I'm only hazily aware of who they are, and I realize that if there are any cool young people listening to this podcast, you've probably turned me off right now, and you can't hear what I'm saying. So I'm just gonna say right now, ah. Okay. Well, I miss you. Come back. <laughs> we, we're, we're, I'm, I'm getting old. I don't. I can't keep up with, we, with uh, new music. Uh, yeah. XXX Tentacion um, was a big uh, sort of internet. It'd be it'd be unfair to call him like a rap star or a hip hop mm. star because he actually was kind of a polymath musically. He did a lot okay. of different interesting genres. He played you know kind of mixed around with genres a lot and was a, a very very talented artist whose uh, heyday was only this very brief three year period from uh, from 2015 to 2018. Oh wow! He was murdered at age 20. Oh shit! Uh, so uh, okay, well then I'm really embarrassed mm. that I know him. I feel really bad about that. And, I'm so uh, sorry. I, I hope I wasn't being flip. I don't. No, I no, didn't, no. Uh, I just, it's, I, it's just my ignorance. I apologize. I didn't know. Who person was yeah um he he was uh he was born uh jose onfroy uh and er- early in his life i think he was maybe around 12 or 13 he was diagnosed uh bipolar okay and he was n- never really given proper treatment in fact his mother is on camera saying that she didn't want to give him treatment she wanted him to just sort of like try to figure it out on his own which okay. ended up being uh pretty bad for him in, in well, I'd say in the long run but in the short run because he didn't live very long mm-hmm. uh, he became a, a, a very uh, a controversial figure right away because he was always uh, lashing out at uh, other performers and you know uh, mm. writing diss tracks for some of the other other like um, his immediate uh, people in the scene. He also was a little bit of a, like a TikTok prankster mm. where he'd like break into people's houses and mess with their stuff. And he uh, became known for being that. It, it sounds like they're trying to sell him as this sort of impish prankster, but what he was doing was actually pretty destructive. Yeah. Uh, and as he sort of rose to fame and got, you know, more and more famous and actually cut a few records, uh, he also started, uh, uh, getting accusations leveled at him for domestic abuse. Oh God! And we get some of his girlfriends on camera, and uh, one of his girlfriends. Her narrative is actually kind of a little bit, almost embarrassingly, pushed to the side. She's the one who uh, was battered by him, and he's on camera or he's on cassette. Rather, they get audio recordings of some of the horrible things that he was doing, and he ended up going to prison wow. for domestic abuse. Uh, 
I, for, I forgot the length of his sentence, but it wasn't very long. And yeah, eventually it, he gets out of prison and uh, was involved in this horrendous crime where he was gunned down. He was murdered and he was only 20 years old. Uh, I feel like this is a film that is trying to capture the energy and the immediacy and the importance of this artist. Uh, XXSTacion really was trying to do interesting things musically while not quite going all the way with facing the horrible things he's done. And in fact, mm. there's only one moment where uh, they've gathered a bunch of his friends and some of his relatives in the same room and they're talking about what an important guy he was and kind of the you know why he went to prison. And during that one scene, we hear the filmmakers for the first time and they actually ask him, you know, why could it be that he was lying or, you know, why is it that you keep on talking about him this way when you know he's guilty of these horrible things? And they'll just kind of like embarrassedly look at their shoes. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, we just didn't want to deal with it. Like, well, why do you, why do you believe him and not her? You know, something, go, something is going on here. What, mm-hmm. what was going on? And uh, it, it doesn't sort of tip into hero worship. It's not really trying to forgive what he did. Right. It's not trying to exonerate his crimes, mm-hmm. but I feel like it, it doesn't go all the way in examining sort of what, what an amazing musician he was with some of these horrible crimes that he committed. Yeah. But he, he did go to prison for his crimes. Well, does it feel like the movie, uh, it sounds like the movie is trying to acknowledge the bad hmm. while mostly focusing on the good. Do you feel as though, since this really wasn't that long ago. You know, it's not like we're looking, it's not like we have like the benefit of decades of hindsight and we can examine like the whole era and how this person fits into the musical trends and also the celebrity culture of the time. We're kind of so close to it. It's hard to really say that with any Mm -hmm. kind of clarity, no matter what filmmaker you are. Does it feel like they're trying to set the record straight for the future or they're trying to make like a statement so that mm. when people look back at him, they'll, they'll look at him this way. I I, I think that that is maybe what this is trying to do is, uh, because so much happened in this young man's life, uh, that they're really trying to get it in order, put it out there and try to make sense of what we got. Mm. Um, it's actually really fascinating just seeing a documentary in this form because it's a feature length documentary. It's on Hulu. Mm. Uh, in because uh, I've seen other documentaries about musicians or performers, and usually those documentaries about the same length cover maybe several decades of career. This covers maybe a four or five year period, yeah. but it has the same amount of detail. There's a lot of incidents in in XXXTentacion's well, life. It's also because of the way the the nature of the world that we live in now. There's yeah. probably a lot more documentation than it would be like yeah. in most I, of the celebrities think, of the past. I think what they're trying to do maybe is sort of get the line as to. Uh, if there's any bad blood left over and how, how his family feels about him and what he did, how uh, the woman, the woman who accused him of domestic abuse feels about what he did yeah. and how, uh, what, what is his legacy going to be? Here's here, here he is. The, this poor soul is in the ground and now we're trying to make sense of sort of the complicated person that he was only really just starting to become. And there's a, a, a huge tragic element to it. It's you know it's all, it's hanging over the entire movie. There's not a, like a moment of yes, and we're going to celebrate everything that was going on. Mm. It's like we know that the end is coming in just a couple of years here. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there's this weight over the entire uh, documentary. You know, because it, it's a, a sad story. Yeah. Uh, what I wish they had gone into was a little bit more of his craft. 
what he was doing musically, how how it was drawing from all these other sources, how it was changing the music world. They play a lot of his music, and it's great, you know. Okay. But I don't feel like we're not getting enough of his music. We're not seeing a whole live performance of his. We're not getting an entire. We're not getting rock critics coming in and talking about what an important guy he was musically. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little bit lacking as well. Okay, it's more about the kind of personality he was, the kind of presence he had in this uh, alien to an old guy like me sort of online music world. And uh, and the sadness of his death. It, it sounds to me, and and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm trying to like get like a, the general takeaway from you, mm. uh, that this is just kind of a generic mixed bag rock documentary. Oh, I mean, does it doesn't sound like a meaningful yeah. takeaway. In terms, like of, a meaningful in terms takeaway of the filmmaking, it, yes. You know? uh, in terms of the like, subject, I think this he uh, XXX Tentacion is most certainly worthy of documentary. Yeah, uh, just because there was so much going on. Uh, right. I'm not saying but, I'm yeah. not about worthiness of documentary. What I'm saying is it's, that at the end of the day, do you feel like the movie has an important point to make that you got out of it, or do you feel like it gave you something meaningful? Well, like I said, it's trying yeah. trying to figure out where people are now that that he's dead. Well, like, yeah. What what are we going to take from the take from his life, and how is what is his legacy now? Well, and one and might argue that that's do. And, and but do they do that? Oh, I don't think they come to like one solid conclusion, but okay. that's fine because that's a human life. Okay. And you know, he, that's he, a fair point. An important musician who did horrible crimes as well. So there's a lot of ambivalence as well, and I think that's uh, that's completely hmm. legit. Fair enough. Uh, well, it sounds better than the next film that I'm going to review. That oh, sadly, I wish you'd seen this because <laughs> I, didn't, I need someone to share my pain. Time, but yeah. um, okay, I saw a new movie. It's a sci-fi film called Zero Contact. Uh, it stars Anthony Hopkins the way that Plan 9 from Outer Space stars Bella Lugosi. Huh. Uh, <laughs> it's, this is a movie, this is one of many, it, it, it turns out quite a few movies were made during the pandemic over Zoom calls hmm. because it was the only way people could work there for a while during the the height of the lockdown where everyone was really just stuck in their apartments as much as possible. Uh, uh, which, we, which which made for a few good movies. Uh, yeah, think, we got I a few. The host was really good. The host was Shutter. excellent. Um, I, I I was very fond of uh, Home Movie: The Princess Bride that was on Quibi. I still didn't see that. We we got to, okay. So the good movies we got out of the pandemic, specifically produced during the pandemic under conditions of the pandemic. Uh, we got a great horror movie called Host, which actually ended up being relevant to the pandemic, like thematically. So kudos for that. Very good film. Uh, we got Bo Burnham's Inside, which was about sort of the creative stifling of it yeah, and yeah. Uh, what happens when uh, sensitive artistic people are stuck with their own thoughts for way too fucking long. Uh, and that movie is great. Uh, we had... Um, uh, a a well-intentioned but not especially good movie came out earlier this year called Family Squares, uh, which oh, was okay. a which was a big ensemble piece starring people like uh, Judy Greer and June Squibb and uh, uh, Margot Martindale and uh, and it was about basically that it was about that time where people are still going through major life events that have nothing directly to do with the the pandemic. But the pandemic is preventing us from sharing them together in the same space. And that was a movie about the difficulty of maintaining familial connections at that really unique period of time. It's not a great movie, but at the very least, they leaned into it. Zero Contact. And it didn't have to be, but by choosing not to, I think they hurt themselves a little bit. It isn't about the pandemic, and it's never mentioned that they're in the pandemic. 
So the fact that this movie takes place entirely over a Zoom call is not justified by the actual events of the film. Okay. It feels incredibly arbitrary rather than something that is actually necessary because it just happens to take place during the pandemic lockdown. So this is a Zoom call movie that doesn't need to be. So already off to an awkward start. Uh, The movie opens with a... A famous billionaire, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk type, uh, played by uh, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, As the movie begins, he's dead. He changed the world with his technology, which did something, something. Mm. And now he's dead. And he died in the middle of doing a mysterious uh, uh, new invention or whatever called the Continuum Initiative. Quantinuum? The Quantinuum Initiative, which my computer insists is not a real word, mm. and I'm pretty sure Google feels the same. Um, which is fine. It's sci-fi. You made up a word. But whatever. It's weird to write. It's hard. It's weird to look at and hard to say. Is this a slipstream? I never saw a slipstream, but I think it might be a slipstream. Oh, no. Um, Sli- slipstream is, is a, a just... A massive turkey that Anthony Hopkins was involved with <laughs> yeah. uh, back in the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, also known as Slipstream Dream. And it was this weird phantasmagoria of inner dream mm. art piece stuff. A lot of celebrities were in it. So anyway, uh, he died. He left this project unfinished. And at the beginning of the movie, five people who knew him directly. There's his lawyer... Uh, a tech advisor he worked with, a hacker that he worked with, a business partner, and his estranged son get a mysterious invite to a mysterious Zoom call, mysteriously. And uh, they're invited onto the Zoom call and say, okay, we're here, why are we here, what's happening? And then a mysterious voice mysteriously tells them, mysteriously, you have been invited here by the Continuum Initiative, Uh, you have all been given a special code, you must input the code now, you have one hour. This should take 15 seconds. Instead, we get an hour. And instead of everyone just putting in their code and the movie being done with it, they have to talk about whether or not they're going to put in a code. Uh, the, the estranged son who wanted nothing to do with his father exists so that things can be explained to him. And uh, what they explained to him about the Continuum Initiative is we don't know. And uh, it either will save the world if we put in the code... Or destroy the world if we put in the code. Or it'll destroy the world if we don't put in the code. And it might have something to do with teleportation and or time travel. <laughs> don't touch it. It's a history eraser button, you fool. <laughs> the, it's, it's like the second season of Lost, which you'll remember was all about, well, we, if we need to push this button every, like, I forget it was, like 112 minutes or something like that, or something bad will happen and we're just going to take it in on faith. Uh, imagine that, but with none of the exciting stuff happening around it to make that actually interesting. There's like a 22-minute Twilight Zone episode, or rather like a Chris Matheson story, like The Box, mm. where you can maybe get something around Richard, this. But, Richard Matheson. Oh, what did I say? You said Chris Matheson. I was thinking of Richard Christian Matheson, but that's his son. But yeah, Richard oh, Matheson. Richard was, Matheson, yeah. yeah I was, I, you're right, I was thinking of Richard Matheson. Uh, so you get a bunch of characters, all of whom are vaguely defined. And have nothing really going on in their lives that's very, very interesting. Uh, Debating whether to do a thing that they don't know what it is for a really long time. (laughs) And then after a while, someone might be like coming in and like 
killing them one by one, but that person is also vaguely defined and kind of confusing, and we're not sure if we want that. We're not sure if they want us to push the button or oh my not. God. And then also maybe one of them might be teleporting, but also maybe not because they're only doing it off camera. Mm. And then every once in a while, it cuts to Anthony Hopkins, who honestly, if there weren't two specific clips in this movie where he vaguely references the idea that he has an estranged son and you've got to push a button. I would have thought all of the clips of Anthony Hopkins were like EPK footage from some kind of press tour he did. Because it opens with him playing the piano and then saying something kind of generic about creativity. And then the most of the clips are him talking to someone off camera about how he doesn't like labels and the difference between art and science. And I'm like... Okay, I'm glad. Good for you for getting Anthony Hopkins to be in your no-budget sci-fi movie. You couldn't think of anything for him to do? Anything meaningful for him to say? It looks like... It honestly looks like they purchased Anthony Hopkins' performance off of Cameo. <laughs> like Anthony which, Hopkins, which could, that might be a thing. I don't know. The Cameo, if you don't know, is a website where uh, celebrities, uh, big and small... Honestly, a lot of different types of people are on are on Cameo. Uh, you can pay them a varying amount, depending on how in demand they are or, or mm. how highly they think of themselves, I guess, um, to do a clip for you. Like, um, hey, guy who starred in my, fav- my brother's favorite TV show from the 80s, you're on Cameo. I'll give you 15 bucks and you'll say happy birthday to my brother for 30 seconds. Yeah. You know, it's... It's not a bad idea, honestly. It's a perfectly good idea for a website. Also a good way to make a... Just make a few bucks on your own. Yeah. You don't have to, like, get a contract or anything. Yeah, like yeah. That. I, I mean, it's like it's a legitimately decent idea for a web service for celebrities with time on their hands. Like, it's it's right, not bad. Right. Like, and, and a varying uh, stripes, you know? Like, some uh, not everyone's going to want a sports star to do that, but some would. Not everyone's going to want a guy who started in this particular show, but some people would, so they can find them. That's cool. Like, it wouldn't shock me to find out that they were just like, hey, Anthony Hopkins, I can only afford you for, for uh, 45 seconds today. Would you mind saying something about the Continuum Initiative? Sure. <laughs> like, that's how it plays. Yeah. It's, this movie is... One thing about the Continuum This movie is interminable. This movie, I started, this is, I, I tweeted, it's interesting, I tweeted this, and I was being vague, because mm. the, the review hadn't come out yet, and I wanted to, like... Yeah, at least be able to back up what I was saying with the reasons why in a more detailed review that is currently on the wrap. Um, but I tweeted, and I meant this. This is this is not hyperbole. This is not me being cute. I literally started fantasizing about cleaning out the litter box. <laughs> just I was getting like, other things well, done. It's like it's like you know when like you have chores to do, and it's just like ah. But I still haven't watched the new Defunct Land yet. I'll do it afterwards, you know that kind of thing, uh-huh. because it's better than doing your chores. It's more, it's more enjoyable than doing your chores. Right. When the thing you should be doing to avoid your chores is so interminable, you'd rather be doing the unpleasant chores. That's a problem. That is not good. And it was really interesting because I didn't think anyone would predict zero contact. It was very interesting. Everyone's theories as to what movie I tweeted about. Mm. Everyone's like, I don't know, that's pretty harsh about the Batman. I'm like, yeah, even I think that's harsh about the Batman. Like, <laughs> Jesus, no. It's like, there's some really bad movies out there. Um, and then on top of it all, Zero Contact is the first in a trilogy. Oh, no. Yeah. 
like planned or it's already been made? I, I assume it's already been shot. Right. Like I, it's Jesus. Um, this is easily the the nadir of the pandemic thriller because this has nothing to say. Hmm. It doesn't do anything clever with the limitations that we were handed during the the pandemic lockdown. It's not doesn't feel deeply personal. It doesn't feel like you were excited by the challenge. It feels like shit you threw together and you were able to get Anthony Hopkins because he happened to be available because there was a lockdown. Like, it feels very tired mm. and very bland. And... That's too bad. It's it, probably the worst thing I've seen so far this year. Like, Ugh. it's really, really, really not a good movie. Uh, it's I, it's not even interestingly bad. Like, mm. like there's so many bad movies that, like, have... And I use bad as, of course, in a, a, a subjective term. But there's so many quote-unquote bad movies, movies that are inept in some way, mm. that are nevertheless engaging because the people who made them have personality. Like, think of something like Neil Breen or something like that. Or at the know? very least, there's something to talk about. Right. And there's a lot of movies that a lot of people would simply label as bad mm. that I wouldn't. Because I feel like if you're getting some entertainment out of it, is it truly bad? Mm. Because I've seen movies that I can get literally nothing out of Zero Contact, like that are that I would genuinely consider to be pretty damn bad, and of course even that's subjective. But like, there's so many bad movies that at least have something to recommend them. Someone tried. It feels personal, even though it's not very well produced. The Room feels personal, doesn't it? It feels like someone really like someone really thought they were doing something, mm. and they didn't, and that's the tragedy of The Room. But like, it feels like they really wanted to make a real movie. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't feel like that. This just feels so bad. Um, <laughs> so let's review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale because that's the end of it. Mm. The critically acclaimed scale goes from C- minus to C+. Plus. The lowest the movie can get is a C-. minus. That's below average. We generally don't recommend that. Sometimes we think it's just absolutely awful. Zero contact. Uh, and then there's C. C is average. Mm. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. You know, some people who are fans of a genre might like it more than others. But just, you know, okay. And then there's C+, which is above average. We genuinely recommend those movies. You might even think they're amazing. Uh, on that note, Zero Contact gets like just a, just a C- minus in like bold face and 100 font. <laughs> like it's really big C-. minus. Like it's really oh. not a good sit. And I do not recommend it. Yeah, okay. Uh, look at me. Mm. XX Tentacion. Uh, um, I'm going to give it a C. I, I okay. feel like it, it could have been a, a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more complete about, you know, even though there there wasn't a lot of time to cover, I think there's mm -hmm. still there was still more to talk about, and it could have come to maybe uh, a, a little bit more of a solid conclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think this is a really fascinating documentary. I think mm -hmm. it's a really fascinating artist that I was introduced to. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, see. All right, uh, Dinner in America. Uh, that's a C plus. Oh, that's this, nice. this is this is a very sweet movie. It really understands punk rock. It, it it's really kind of quirky. It's got a great cast, and yeah, the two leads just are wonderful. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, Bob's Burgers, the movie. Uh, I see. Okay, it's it's, it's a it's a little uh, a little annoying after a while. Mm. I do appreciate sort of the wit and the warmth that carries over from the show into the movie. I feel there's a a lot of really funny bits in it. I want more music. Yeah, uh, I, I want. So uh, like that was the biggest missed opportunity. Uh, there really I want have been more music. Maybe an even broader story than the one we got. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's perfectly enjoyable. It's a yeah, C. for me, it's a very high C. Uh, yeah. I think if you're if you're a fan of Bob's Burgers, like a really big fan of Bob's Burgers. 
it wouldn't surprise me if you feel this is a C plus, but as a fan of Bob's Burgers, I feel like this is just a, a rather good episode that's too long, mm. uh, which is to say comforting. It's good to hang out with these characters. I like all the characters. I like all the things that happen in it. Uh, but yeah, bit of a missed opportunity with the lack of music. The music that is in there is good. I just wanted more of it. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, just, just just okay. I liked it. Okay. It's not great. Uh, and then Top Gun Maverick. Where did you where did you fall on uh, the end? Top Gun Maverick is a C plus of a C. Uh, it's like the best possible <laughs> C you could possibly get. So uh, you're saying it's a three star, four star movie? Uh, there you go. It's a three yeah. star. It, it's it's unbelievably well made. It will entertain you, despite yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I was frustrated by kind of how shallow it is and how calculated it felt, mm. uh, but that doesn't distract from the fact that it is just mm. a bold, boldly entertaining summer entertainment. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm going to give it a C plus. It's a low uh, C plus. I do think that it is a very solidly satisfying, uh, efficiently told, mm. beautifully photographed uh, summer thrill ride. Yeah. Uh, any aspirations it has beyond that come up rather short. I think the melodrama is a little trite. Uh, the themes are unexplored or maybe not great. Even the characters are a little thin. Uh, the, the, some some actors the, uh, get make more out of hmm. make more make more of a meal out of it than others. But I was yeah. I, it, Glenn it was, Powell is a standout. I think he's it really was good. a little unfortunate that when we're being introduced to some of the young soldier characters, that I was reminded a lot of Starship Troopers, mm. and though but those characters are satires yeah. like they're supposed to be over the top you're not wrong now they're just sort of playing it straight and yeah <laughs> top gun yeah. maverick yeah i feel like the movie isn't fully cognizant of uh just how simplistic it is in a lot of ways like mm-hmm. i think it's really convinced of its own greatness uh when in actuality it's it's a little thin but i think the presentation uh dramatically outweighs the fact that the story is a little hollow yeah, uh, but it's not—it's not horrible. It's just a little hollow. It's just—it just doesn't really amount to a lot. Yeah, uh, but it is very, very well presented, and yeah, I can't—I can't begrudge it that I can't. I—I I don't love it, and that's why. But I think it's very, very well told. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'm gonna—I'm gonna give it a C plus. It's not a passionate C plus, but it's definitely—I'm I'm glad I checked it out. Yeah. So yeah. I'll give it that. All right, and that is it for critically acclaimed this week. We'll be back next week with reviews of some. What, what comes out next week? I don't even know. It's got to be something, right? Got Hold another, on. There's, got a, there's another Marvel coming out. Is in there another Marvel? There's some, some kind of Marvel. Some, some kind of like Thor, Thor 4 more Thor is finally coming. This is how you, this is how seriously we take our job. No, it's, <laughs> not, it's not our job to know what's coming up next. Oh, actually, you know what's coming up next? David Cronenberg. Oh, that's right. Crimes of the Crimes Future of the comes future out. Coming that's out that next, I'm right. excited about. That yeah. that's even even a bad David Cronenberg, and he has done a couple, is at least yeah. interesting. So. Uh, fingers crossed that'll that'll be uh, that'll be worth the wait. Uh, we got Crimes of the Future. We got a new thriller called Watcher. Uh, speaking of hosts, that guy is a new film coming out next weekend called Dashcam. Okay, uh, and a few other things as well. So we'll be on talking about that next time on Critically Acclaimed. Thank you everybody for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, leave us a review if you ever have the opportunity. That would be really really great. If you want to join our Patreon, you get a lot of exclusive shows. It's Patreon.com/slash/CriticallyAcclaimedNetwork. Uh, We have exclusive shows dedicated to Batman, the Academy Awards, Star Trek, every Star Trek episode ever, commentary tracks. We're just, uh, we either just dropped or just about to drop, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, the our new commentary track for the movie Face Off. We do uh, bi-weekly trivia nights with our patrons. 
a lot of cool stuff over there. So thank you to all of our patrons for making the show a possibility because it wouldn't be without you. If you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, you want to tell us we were wrong about Top Gun. You want to tell us we were right. <laughs> kind of a kind of a straightforward conversation. We we'll just sort of say thank you. But regardless, tell, if you have questions, if you want to know more about us, if you want to uh, want recommendations, whatever you want, really, email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email and respond to it on an upcoming episode of our podcast. We've got mail. Whitney, what is our PO box? Uh, send us an actual physical letter. Critically acclaimed network PO box six four one five six five Los Angeles California nine double zero six four. Yeah, and of course we're on Twitter at critic acclaim. I am at William Deviani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And until next time, never forget, everyone's a critic. I wanna go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>